morning, everyone. Stand with us. Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. 
tremendous amount of anxiety in the room because people came in, they didn't know where to sit. Uh, so, so when your Sunday morning challenge is which side gets dismissed to the chow line first, uh, that is, uh, that, if that's the hardest decision you've got to make today, then, uh, then count yourself blessed. Uh, aren't you glad to be here today? Amen. Much to be thankful for, and, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a day to, to come together and celebrate. And, and some people, we laugh about Baptists liking to eat. But God prescribed feasts for his people in the Old Testament. Uh, there were times for God's people to come together and, and celebrate and, and give thanks for all of his blessings. And so, so I think it's good when we can come together and have a feast as God's people and celebrate the goodness of our God and enjoy it together as a church family. You'll see today we'll also have the Lord's Supper. That'll be at the very end of our service before our meal. So we'll actually kind of do that in a different way today just to, uh, to have that sense of shared, uh, sharing a meal together and, and breaking bread together. That'll be at the very end of our service. Uh, would encourage you in the next few minutes, if you're seated on the back, uh, that's fine. You're welcome to sit there, but you're welcome to have a spot at the table as well. As uh, the, the uh, You're welcome to come and stay and have lunch with us today. So, uh, so please find a spot at the table to enjoy lunch today. Let's take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, don't jump the table to get to them. But, uh, but do wave at them and shake their hands and all that good stuff.
Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for this time of Thanksgiving. We should be thankful each and every day, but we recognize that this week is a day of corporate Thanksgiving. We have so many things to be thankful for in our country, in our life, but most of all, we're thankful for the salvation that you have offered us. We ask that you take these tithes and offerings, Lord, to do good works here in the community and worldwide. We ask that you bless the gift, bless the giver. May we be cheerful givers. Ask all these things in Christ's holy name.
you see this little, I don't really know what to call it. Uh, it's not a statue, uh, but uh, it's really just something. Both of my boys have these in their rooms, and this looks a little bit like what maybe a Roman guard might have worn whenever we talk about the armor of God, okay? And so last week, Pastor Ryan, you, you, some of you put on some helmets, right, or put on some hard hats, right? And uh, when we talk about the armor of God, this is a picture that helps us understand it, but it's not really, he's not really saying you got to go get a helmet and uh, you got to get your, a, a big knife here, a big sword, and you don't have to put on sandals and you don't need one of these big shields, but it's just a picture that shows us uh, what he's talking about. Now, all those pieces, though, it's not just a helmet of iron or a helmet of steel or something. It's a helmet of salvation, right? Um, hey, Brooke, do you know how to put on your armor of God? You do? Can, can, can you do it for us? Okay, go ahead. Um, the helmet of salvation, Good job, good job. All right. We have to, you, you, you put that on every morning before you go to school, right? Yeah, yeah Daddy puts it on before he goes to Walmart. <laughs> um, but listen, part of that. Part of that is breastplate of righteousness, okay? Breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is kind of a big word that I don't know if we really understand all that well. I don't even know if I understand it all that well. But just a, a few things if we, can, if we can attempt. Righteousness is how we live. It's how we live. It's doing the good things we're, that we're supposed to do. It's trying to live in accordance to God's word and doing those things that are right. And so should we, listen to me, should we obey God's commands and live like the Bible tells us? Yeah, we should live and follow. All right. But you know what? The Bible tells us that even our best things that we do, even our best acts of righteousness, you know what it compares them to? In the book of Isaiah, it says this. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. Listen, it says this. All our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment or a filthy rag. Now listen, a filthy rag or a filthy garment, are you, you, you're going to want to watch this because I think I have an example of it right here in my pocket. What is this? It's a diaper. Yeah. Now, do you think I would have brought a filthy diaper up here? Well, let's find out. This is perfect for Thanksgiving meal right here. Yeah, well, let's see. Well, you might can smell it first. Anybody want to smell it? <laughs> All right, let's see. Is this a filthy rag? Oh, what is that? Does anybody, anybody want one of those? No? It's just chocolate. You're right. It's just chocolate. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just chocolate and... Uh, but nobody wanted any. It was so. Look, just <laughs> crazy. The, the whole reason that I did this, okay? The Bible says that even our best attempts at being good is kind of like a, a filthy rag, and that's about as filthy as I can think of. Is the old used diaper, okay? So listen, all those things that we do when it comes to 
when it comes to salvation, when it comes to how we get saved, we can be as good as we think we can be. You can do everything that you think is right, but at the end of the day, you're still a sinner, I'm still a sinner, and all of our good things don't really, don't really get us anywhere as far as salvation is concerned. We have to trust Jesus with our life, and we have to put on, listen, His righteousness. The Bible says we put on His righteousness. So when you put on that armor of God and you put on the breastplate of righteousness, listen, it's not just the things that you do well. It's the things that Jesus has done. And we put on His righteousness. And His righteousness, it's not like a filthy rag. His righteousness is perfect. And when God looks at us, He sees Jesus' perfect righteousness covering our lives. Okay? So when you put that armor on, I want you to think about Jesus. He's actually every piece of the armor, but I don't have time for that right now, okay? So you put on His righteous acts. Let's pray. Father, we are instructed that we should follow Your Word, and we should, we should uh, obey Your commandments. But that's not going to save us. Really, it's only, it's only through Your blood. So God, clothe us with Your righteousness. Because ours, ours is like filthy rag, a dirty diaper. So God, thank you for sending Jesus that can give us his righteousness. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand once again. Come thou almighty King, help us thy name to sing. Help us to praise, Father all-glorious, for all-victorious. Come and reign over us, ancient of days. Come, Thou incarnate Word, gird on Thy mighty sword, our prayer attend. Come thy people bless and give thy word success spirit of holiness on us descend come holy comforter thy sacred witness bear in this glad hour thou who Spirit of power, to the great one in three, eternal praises be, in severmore, thy sovereign majesty, may we in glory see, and to eternity love and standing as we share God's word together this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, simply reading verses 13 and part of verse 14. Therefore, God says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt 
of truth. Father, thank you for this day that you've blessed us with. Thank you for the opportunity to come together around the table and fellowship together and study your word and uh, be part of the body of Christ here, Lord. Uh, we're grateful for this, uh, this time and this opportunity today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. BJ, I think we're all thankful that you didn't put one of Miss Robin's peanut butter balls in that, uh, in that diaper there. Especially since there's a big pile of them next door there. That would have been a tragedy if there had been some left over, though, as a result. So, um, anyway. Last week, I introduced this last main theme in the book of Ephesians with a couple of main ideas. And we talked about the idea of, of a battle. And there really is a battle. It's just not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. There is a very real battle that is taking place in the world today. And we are called as God's people to stand and be ready to fight in that battle. We also recognize that, that our strength is very limited. Our strength is very limited and our strength will, at some point in time, will eventually fail us. I showed you the video of the 91-year-old gymnast. Uh, some of y'all uh, broke a hip just watching her. Um, but, uh, but her strength will fail her one day. Uh, don't know when that will be. And then we recognize that we are called to stand, but we don't stand in our own strength. We stand in the Lord's strength. This is the reality of the battle in which we face, and we are called as men and women of God every day of our lives to stand firm in the battle. But we are equipped to stand in the battle as we are called to put on the full armor of God, which Brooklyn so wonderfully uh, showed us this morning. We also talk about the fact that, when, that, we, that we find our strength, that we find the ability to have the strength in the joy that we have in the Lord. That's where our strength comes from. And that our joy is not something that we just make up. It's something that is secured by our hope in future glory, the hope in God's promises. And so we, we laid the groundwork for this last main theme in the book of Ephesians. Paul moves on, however, to illustrate this theme in what is probably the most well-known biblical analogies that we have, the armor of God. Now, originally I was going to preach through each piece of the armor, but then I realized that lunch is next door and there might be a mutiny on our hands if I tried to go through the entire list here. And so I'm doing us all a favor and only tackling one today. We will tackle the rest at a later date. So we'll talk about the more and more in, few, in details in the, in the next few weeks. But today we want to just talk about the belt of truth. God calls us to stand in the battle. He doesn't leave us ill-equipped, though. He calls us to put on, first and foremost, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The first thing we need to understand, though, about this armor is that Paul is talking about the armor of a Roman centurion. This is important for us to understand because this is what Paul saw on a daily basis. If you're picturing some medieval knight in shining armor, well, that's not a very helpful analogy. I even ran across this video uh, let's see if it'll play. This is awesome. Let me get some audio. You guys, uh, Steve, sneak out back there. Uh-oh. So the video here, I didn't tell Steve we had audio, so don't worry about it, Rick. It's not that long. Uh, this is the, the narration of the armor of God dubbed over the Iron Man putting his suit on, which is awesome, by the way. I think every red-blooded man wishes he had an Iron Man suit. While that's, use, while that's pretty cool, it's not very helpful. It's not what Paul 
had in mind. In fact, don't forget that Paul was in a Roman jail as he wrote this letter. And since he was in a Roman jail, it's very likely that he was watching the daily activities of soldiers in armor going about their service to the emperor. It was something he saw and experienced on a regular basis. And so because Paul saw this, he understood that each part of the centurion's armor served an important purpose in the, the, the uniform that the soldier put on. Likewise, if the centurion went to battle missing a portion of that armor, then he would be much more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. The second thing we need to recognize about the armor is that it's something that we put on. Now, I'm not suggesting that these are optional accessories, that I can choose the, the sword of the Spirit today, the shield of faith, but I'm going to leave the helmet of salvation off today. I'm not suggesting these are optional accessories, but what I am suggesting is that it is possible for us to be caught in the battle with missing components. And as we work through these pieces, I want us to consider some of the consequences of being caught without that particular armor. So this morning, let's see what the Apostle means when he tells us to put on the belt of truth. And casually reading through the armor, have you ever wondered if there's a reason that, that it comes in the order that it comes in? I have. I, why does it come in the order that it comes in? Is it an order based on priority? Is it a, based on importance? Maybe it's just the logical way that, that a, a soldier would put on his uniform. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know, the last thing I put on in the morning is a belt. Uh, a belt's the last thing that, that I put on. After everything else is on and I'm dressed, I put on my belt last. But this is where my lack of context regarding a centurion's armor caused me some confusion. You see, the centurion's armor is much, or the centurion's belt is much more than just the leather strap that we wear to keep our pants up. For the centurion, the belt is an absolutely essential tool, an essential part of his armor. The rendering in the King James actually is very helpful. The King James and, and the New American Standard Bible says that you are to guard or to gird your loins with truth. The belt that we're talking about here, it gathered the soldier's undergarments, his tunic that he wore. It gathered all that up, and that belt was equipped with armor that hung down around the, the centurion's uh, lower, uh, lower extremities there. Now, the centurion's belt or legs would have been free to move, but the belt protected some of the vulnerable areas well, below the belt, so to speak. Not only did the belt serve to protect the soldier, it also gave him a place to holster his weapon. His sword was carried in the belt. Don't forget that. That's something we'll come up in a couple of weeks. Well, since the belt is more than just a wardrobe tool, as it is for modern clothing, entering into battle without a belt would absolutely be a foolhearted move. In fact, if you think about what the consequences would be, it would leave the centurion embarrassingly exposed and vulnerable. It would be akin to you showing up to work on Monday morning, realizing that you forgot your pants. And we laugh about that and say, that's silly, what, a, what kind of a concept is that? But that's really what the equivalent of this would be. And, and just as you would be embarrassed if you were in that situation for a centurion to show up in battle without his belt on, it would be an absolutely embarrassing situation. One could argue that this is one of the most essential pieces of armor as the belt of or the belt for the centurion really provides the foundation for the rest of the soldier's garments. For Paul, he equates this important article of the soldier's garments, he equates it to the concept of truth. Now, 
if you don't think this speaks to our culture today, then you're not paying very much attention to what's going on in the world today. This idea of truth, this foundational spiritual armor, is absolutely essential for us today. Because here's the question. What's true today? What's true? Does anybody know? Do you know what's true anymore? If you, if you think something's true, how do you know it's true anymore? Do you trust the news? There was a time not long ago where the anchor of the 6 o'clock news was one of the most trusted people in the world. That what Walter Cronkite said on the news, well, that was something you could count on. That was, that was as true as anything was. Well, now in a rush to, to break stories and, and, and beat people to the punch, things get published that aren't true, absolutely aren't true. Some of you are like, what's the 6 o'clock news? Uh, do they even have 6 o'clock news anymore? I don't even know. How about this? Do you trust the textbooks that your child's school uses? Can you believe everything that's published in those textbooks? Hope not. Here's an interesting truth problem. If a pregnant woman wants the creature growing inside of her, we call it a baby. If the pregnant woman doesn't want it, what is it? According to our world, it's disposable. It's something else. We have a truth problem today. And we could spend hours, hours, literally hours and days looking at examples where up is now down and where down is now up. Folks, if we cannot agree on what is true anymore, then how in the world can we possibly accomplish anything when we can't even agree on the basic definition of what is true? Words don't mean what words are supposed to mean. We don't even know the definition of words anymore. How much time in conversing with people do we have to spend defining our terms so that we can make sure that we're talking about the same thing? Because the reality is, is there's people who, who use a word completely different from how I use a word. I used to think the word gender meant male or female. Did you know that's not what that word means anymore? That's not what that word means anymore. You go have a conversation in a lost and dying world about gender and you don't know what you're talking about anymore. It's no longer a, 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 a binary issue is the term that's used now. California now has a third option on their driver's licenses. Or you could be male, female, or non-binary. I don't even know what that means. We have to define our terms now. Now, again, I'm not talking about the fact that we don't understand the difference between U-apostrophe-R-E and U-Y-O-U-R. I'm not talking about grammar. I'm not talking about the, fact that, uh, the, the idea that we don't understand the difference between an affect and an effect. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that basic terms that help us to understand one another no longer have consistent definitions. For Christians, it's absolutely essential that we know what truth is, and that truth becomes the most foundational element of who we are. Men and women, I want to tell you today, there are things that can be known. There are things that we can know and we can objectively defend. It doesn't matter how you feel about them. It doesn't matter how you identify with them. It doesn't matter if you have a contrary opinion to them. There are things that are true and can be known today. For example, did you know 
that there is a fairly large organization known as the Flat Earth Society. There are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people who ascribe to the idea that we live on a flat earth. But it doesn't matter that we've pretty well debunked that. It doesn't matter that we've actually been in aircraft, spacecraft that have orbited the round earth. There are people that actually believe this today. There are things that we can know. Things that can be known. And regardless of how you feel about it or what your opinion of those matters are, it doesn't change the fact that it is true. When you and I abandon truth, here's the thing, especially as God's people, we might as well be heading into battle with our pants around our ankles. That's what it does to us in terms of our ability to converse with the world around us. I think one of the best case studies of this is given to us by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He lays this out and he lays out the consequences of what happens when we reject things that, that can be known. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul defends the truth of the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection. The resurrection is true. It's not an opinion. It's not a myth. It's not something that a few people agree on. The resurrection is true. We know it to be true. It was seen by witnesses. It was it, it couldn't be rebutted by the opponents. And it is affirmed by the antidotal evidence of the growth and vigor of the early church. The resurrection of Jesus can be known. It is a truth that we can hold on to. But what happens if it's not? Well, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, this is true. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, he set up an argument here. There are those who are proclaiming that Jesus was raised from the dead. How can some of you say there's no such thing? He goes on. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Jesus has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Do you see what happens when you undermine, when you undermine a basic concept of truth? The resurrection is real. Yet there are those of you who deny the resurrection. If you deny the resurrection, then Jesus couldn't even have been resurrected. And if Jesus hasn't been resurrected, then let's go ahead and eat our turkey and dressing and go home. There's no reason for any of this. Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. If you reject the resurrection, all this is foolish. He goes on. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see what happens? You just undermine a truth claim. And when you undermine a truth claim, thoughts have consequences. Every time, all the time. Jesus' resurrection, as I said, is objective. It was confirmed by witnesses. It could never be rebutted. The church grew and was vigorous. There are plenty of reasons to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But if that's not true, 
And we got nothing. We got nothing. You know, I'll talk specifically about the Scriptures in a couple of weeks when we talk about the sword of the Spirit. But we know that God's Word is truth without error. What it proclaims to us is truth that we can hold on to. But this is even more foundational for us than what we find in the Scriptures. You see, we have a truth problem long before we ever get into a conversation about the reliability of the Bible. You want to talk to your coworkers about whether the Bible's true or not? We're not even there with folks today uh, in, in that time, time of, time, term of, of conversation. We can't even get there yet because we don't even understand that there are absolute truths. We don't even understand that there are objective truths. As God's people, we have to affirm and recognize the necessity of truth. And our commitment to the truth, listen to this, undergirds every other aspect of our armor. If we don't affirm truth, then what kind of salvation do we hold on to? If we don't affirm truth, then what is the gospel? If we don't affirm truth, then what is righteousness? Who defines righteousness if there's no such thing as truth? The rest of it falls apart if we lose this foundational aspect of truth. But truth also has a couple of different nuances that we need to pay attention to. For example, there is truth in the sense of absolute, objective truth. Things that we can know, things that we can see, things that we can test, things that we can, we can, we can know with certainty. But there's also truth in terms of honesty and integrity. And both of those are important as we think about our, our commitment as Jesus' followers to the belt of truth. You see, regardless of which nuance you want to pursue, for the Christian, we have to have a resolute commitment to the truth. If we cannot speak about absolute, objective truth, then we cannot communicate the gospel. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? What if that's not true? What if some of us haven't? Well, we have a problem. We have a problem. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, right? But what if it's not? Then we have a problem. See, we have to have a firm, resolute commitment to the truth. It's not negotiable. Likewise, if we cannot speak with integrity and honesty, then we can't communicate the gospel either. While we talk about the absolute truths that we affirm when it comes to the gospel, if you're just a lying scoundrel, <laughs> it's hard to listen to people have spiritual conversations with folks who are just known to be lying scoundrels, who have no integrity and no honesty. Do you really enjoy talking to people who are known to be lying and and, and, and being dishonest, you want to have a conversation with folks like that? Of course not. And so as God's people, we have to have a resolute commitment to honesty as well, which is another nuance of the truth. So when we engage in the battle, we understand that the basis of our garment is truth. The basis of our armor is truth. And if we backtrack on that, or we give up the argument when it comes to the reality of truth, then it's hard to go to battle and be well equipped and well protected. So let us be men and women. Let us be a church full of people who affirm the necessity of absolutes. Let us be a church full of men and women who speak the truth, who are known to be men and women of honesty and integrity. See, this forms the basis of what we know. And it forms the basis of what we declare. There are things that can be known 
things that we can declare, things that we can share, things that can be depended on. And we know that we find those things found locked up in God's Word, just waiting to be unlocked for a lost and dying world to understand. Would you pray with me, please? God, I'm grateful for your Word. I'm grateful, God, for the basis of truth that you set before us. God, I pray that you might help us to be men and women who are firmly committed to truth. God, both absolutes, things that we can know and depend on and, and, and hold fast to, Lord, but also the, the idea of honesty and integrity, that we would be men and women who speak the truth at all times. God, we thank you. Help us to put that belt on that undergirds our entire armor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and have a time of invitation. You're welcome to pray if you'd like to. If you have some truth issues in your life, maybe it's something to repent from. Maybe you've got an honesty, integrity issue. Maybe there's some things that you believe that you ought not believe that just aren't true. It's time to deal with that today as we stand and sing. God our Father, we adore Thee. We Thy children bless Thy name. Chosen in the Christ before Thee, we are holy without blame. We adore Thee, we adore Thee. Abba's praises we proclaim. We adore Thee, we adore Thee. Abba's praises we proclaim. seated.